Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the Challenger sale by Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson of CEB, Implied Knowledge in this book, but I'm guessing it's their business, and uh, <laughs> Subkicker, How to Take Control of the Customer Conversation, Ashjo. It's an interesting one to put that on as CEB if no one knows what it is. I've got no idea. If we're, Sounds like, like, if we're, like, if we're like Adam and Adam from WYWL and nobody knows what that is, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't add a whole lot of credibility. Yeah. Unless it's, oh, it could be something big. What, what does it stand for? I've got no idea, idea, mate. Oh, there you no go. Uh, well, if we go back to uh, the GFC, maybe a time some people don't want to remember, but if we go back to you know, 2008, 2009, the bottom fell out of the economy. Customers vanished overnight. Commerce basically came to a halt. Credit was scarce. Uh, it was really the toughest sales environment in decades, and most salespeople were totally screwed, except for a few rare uh, gems among all the crap that turned out to still be killing it. That's it, man. Most people sucked. I mean, all businesses, the budgets just pretty much just blew out. No one wanted to spend money, but still, there was some who were selling, in fact, a lot, and they were kicking ass, even more so than uh, the you know previous history for them. So whilst the others were going out there, just struggling to close deals, you know, tripping over shoelaces, slipping on banana peels. <laughs> These others, they were bringing in the kind of business most reps could only dream of. That's when, in this toughest environment ever, that's when CEB launched what has become one of the most important studies of sales rep productivity in ever. 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 History of humankind. <laughs> Self-anointed. Self-anointed, <laughs> but still, history. <laughs> so, in this study, which changed the world, heads of sales from the world's most well-known companies really came together to identify what is going on with this special group. And now having studied the question for four years now, the authors, they've really come up with some serious insights that have rewritten the whole sales playbook um, and have really led the B2B executives all over the world to think really differently about how we're meant to be selling. So this episode is all about what they found in this uh, world-shattering CEB-led study. And really it is. It's a recipe for successful sales solutions that you can apply to whatever you're trying to sell. So what the survey looked at was over hundreds of frontline sales managers across 90 companies around the whole world, across all history of time, um, (laughs) asking them to assess the reps on 44 different attributes. So they looked at things like their attitudes, so things like to the, you know issue resolution, goal motivation, curiosity, things like skills, so their business acumen, communication, teamwork, their specific activities, so adherence to processes, uh, evaluation of opportunities, lead generation, also their knowledge, so their industry knowledge, specific product knowledge, all those 44 different attributes that they measured sales staff on. So the good thing is when you're measuring sales staff, it's pretty easy to measure who's doing good and who's doing shit because it's basically how much they sell it. It's a very, very clear metric you can measure against. And what they found was there was five basically different archetypes and archetypes are pretty handy sometimes to put yourself in a category and realize where you need to move to. Um, And the first of these was called the hard worker, 21% of the, the population out there. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They show up early, they stay late, they're always willing to put in extra effort they're the nose to the grindstone type. They're self-motivated. They don't give up easily. They'll make more calls per hour. They'll conduct more visits in a week than basically anybody else. Um, they frequently seek out feedback. They're always looking for opportunities to improve their game. So that's the hard worker type. Sounds pretty good, you'd think. But so Same does thing. this one. So <laughs> does this one. Relationship builder. That's um, all about nurturing and building strong relationships and professional relationships and advocates across the customer organization. And it's really all about just being there for your customer, um, all about accessibility and service. And, you know, not surprisingly, 
all the customers love the relationship mm. builders the most because they're just good people, good genuine people in, in all the interactions they deal with. That sounds like a good type of salesperson as well. The third one is the lone wolf. They're deeply self-confident, which is pretty much what you want in a salesperson. They tend to follow their own instincts. They kind of go away with some of the rules. They're a bit cowboy. They're a bit prima donna. Uh, they don't really follow the processes. They don't really fill out the CRM the way they're supposed to, the way you want them to. You might feel like you want to fire them, but you can't fire them because they're just killing it. They're, they're doing well. They're, they're doing really well. well, so you can't get rid of them, so they just keep crushing it. Also pretty good, that one. I mean, this <laughs> one's pretty good as well. The reactive problem solver, highly reliable and, and detail-oriented. So, if you need to get in the weeds from a customer with technical knowledge and everything like that, they can do it. They'll probably be there for the, the, the post-sales follow-up, making sure all the service issues and implementation and execution, all these sorts of things that are really sorted out really well and thoroughly. That sounds great as well. And then the fifth type is the challenger. They're kind of the debaters of the team. They've got a deep understanding of the customer's business and they use that understanding to really push and prod. They really sort of drive the customer's thinking. They teach them something new about their company, uh, some way that they can do things more effectively. They're not afraid to share their views, even if it's potentially a bit controversial or a bit different. They're assertive. They tend to press the customer a little bit. It's probably a little bit uncomfortable if you're the customer and you've got some sales rep coming in and saying, Here's, you're doing this wrong, you should be doing it this way. They don't really hold back and they don't hold back on their managers or senior leaders either. They'll say, well, come on, boss, you're not doing this right as well. So they're a little bit, uh, bit of a dick. abrasive. <laughs> bit of abrasive. <laughs> but they to see. <laughs> that's right. But that's the fifth type. That is. And before reading the title of this book, after... <laughs> <laughs> gives it away a bit. Gives it away a bit, that, the title. But out of those five, what did you? What would you think you'd, you'd take a I'd guess? Probably, I'd probably go the relationship builder. I'd, me too. Probably because I'm... That's probably my type. The soft, <laughs> soft. Oh yeah, nice. I'll, I'll help. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll help. We'll do this for I'm you. I'm a bit like that as well. <laughs> it turns out me and you, um, yeah. we both suck. We suck. <laughs> <laughs> We're the worst. The relationship builders are the worst. The challengers got a bit of C, a bit of D in them. Yeah, they kick ass. They they win by a landslide. Absolutely. So what sets these challengers apart? They offer unique perspectives. They've got two, strong two way communication skills. They're not just talking or they're not just listening. They're doing a bit of both. They know what sort of the, what drives the individual customer. They've got them worked out. They can enter, identify economic drivers of the businesses as well. They're completely comfortable discussing money. Sometimes it's sort of the awkward thing to bring. Oh, yeah, it is, this is yeah, how much yeah. it's going to cost. And you sound weak, but the challenger doesn't. Oh. They know what they're doing. They can also push back on the customer, as we said. They they're not afraid to give them a bit of pressure, and they're not afraid to say yeah. no. That's un, that's that's totally wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. It takes it takes a bit of courage that and. Um, the worst performers, unfortunately, the relationship builders out there, the worst of them all. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> go, and they just want to go out and hug customers, have a beer. Of course, relationships are really important. But if you know, every time a customer's got a demand and you just jump at everything and you don't push back when you need to, it's really a recipe for disaster. For example, a quarterly checking call, hey, how's it going? It's good to find business, but it's really not a good way of making business mm. or closing a deal. It's actually going to be a win-win. Yeah, you're not going to create new opportunities from those quarterly calls, really. It's, if it's just the check-in, they might say, oh, hey, oh, yeah, we hadn't thought we need to do something. Can you guys help us out? You might pick up a little thing here or there, but you're not going to really create new opportunities. Well, it's like probably the like um, the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. It's probably a good paradigm. Like, I feel like the challenger sale might be going hardcore win-win and then mm. the relationship builder might maybe is a bit more lose-win mm. as in just trying to make them win but That's sacrifice right. yourself in the process. That's right. If you're buying off the relationship person, it sounds great. But yeah. in terms of their sales stats, not the best. Yeah, exactly. I like it. So the big one here is challenges. They're able to control the sale. Um, very different. So... It's ability to sort of hold firm on the, the on the value and the ability to maintain the the momentum across the whole sales process. 
like discussing money is one of them, right? It's like someone goes, you know, give me a 50% discount and change your terms on X, Y, and Z. And they're like, no, why would we do that? (laughs) This is what it's going to do for your business. And it's a totally different, you know, holding firm and not just buckling. That's right. They know, the reason is the challengers know that they're going to be able to do good shit. And they know that if you're going to do good shit, then you don't have to give discounts. You don't have to change the terms. You don't have to increase scope without increasing price. You've got that confidence in yourself and and, and in your company that you're selling for that you can respectfully push back and say, do you want it or not? This is what Mm -hmm. it is. We're not giving, we're not changing the terms just to cater to you. This is how it goes. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension sometimes in that sales process where like the relationship builders out there sort of just get a bit weak and sort of buckle and cave in, but holding steady in that tension feeling that discomfort and just hanging in there and and you know the other person might cave it takes a it takes a bit of strength to really Big push time. through that but we should i suppose we should say up front that it's it's not just about being a see you next tuesday and say no this is a price that's it take it or leave it yeah, yeah. there's a bit more to get to that point that we'll go through in the rest of this episode yeah yeah well, well played actually. <laughs> you can't just you can't just go out there and uh swinging things around and think that that's the way to get it done there's yeah. you got to get to that point and that's when you can Drop in a bit of C next Good Tuesday. Good point, Ash Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Going too hard on the see you, see you next Tuesday. I was about to just spell the word out. That didn't work out. <laughs> all right. So we're now going to get to the real stuff, what the challenger actually does to get in there. So number one, it's all about really teaching for differentiation mm. and insight is absolutely critical through the sales process here. Now, the shortest path to sales success is a deep understanding of our customers' needs. So, the thinking goes that, you know, if you're going to sell a solution, you've got to first discover your customers' most pressing pain points and build a tight connection between what's keeping them up at night and what you're trying to sell them. So, the idea is, you know, if you dig deep enough and you ask the right questions and you, you coddle a little bit and you kind of give them a bit of a hug every now and then, that eventually, you're going to get to the place where the customer says, okay, you're right, this is what is really deep down that's really bothering us, this is the one thing that we need to fix that's when you say, oh, fantastic, this is exactly what we can do. We can fix that one deep, dark need that you haven't told anybody else and they'll say, fantastic, here's sign, take all my money, take whatever you want. As long as you can fix this, I'm happy to do it. That's a perfect way to sell. Oh, it is. <laughs> it sounds good like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's not, it doesn't really work. That's the only problem really, <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> It doesn't work. Maybe used to back in the day, it's probably like, the things that work back in the day, it takes a long time to just take out the mm. baggage on the crap that's not around anymore because it's based on the flawed assumption that the customer out there actually knows what they mm. want in the first place. You know, their, their needs are simply there just waiting to be unlocked through the mastery of interrogative technique. But, you know, customers don't know sometimes. Right. Sometimes the customer's greatest need is to figure out exactly what they need. <laughs> so yeah. you, they're not just going to say, "Here's the just." they're just going to put it up in lights. Here's the one thing that I need to fix and then I'll give you all my money. Hmm. Maybe they don't even know what it is. Maybe there's just things that aren't quite going right and they don't know why and it's up to you to try to work it out for them. Yeah, and this is exactly what challenges do. So the best technique is to just help teach the customers what they need really hmm. um, and we'll go you know we'll go through about the teaching process a bit more but you know challenges aren't so much world-class investigators they're more like world-class teachers hmm. they win not by understanding the customers as well as the customers know themselves that's probably the you know the the in the old textbooks you know here's how to be a, the best salesperson ever is to work out and understand your customers as well as they know themselves actually what the challenger does is they understand their customers better than the customers know themselves and they teach them, here's what you're missing. Mm. So, number one, what they do is when you're teaching, you're actually leading them to your unique strength. So, really interesting in this because 
you know, so let's say you've gone out there and read a book like Positioning and you've got unique strengths compared to your competitors. You know, you can go out there and teach them generic stuff, which is good for competitors and yourself. But if you're teaching them on your unique strengths, then it's just going to lead to you. You know, for example, Ash Joe, in my world, you've got mass timber, which is totally different to, to concrete. If you're going to teach someone, a new builder, about what they need to, to use, you're going to go out there and teach them about the how much productivity on site and speed of construction actually saves on prelims and the cost saving in that. And a lot of the time, no one knows anything about that. So, you're just teaching them specifically about that one fact and then, you know, you haven't even mentioned the word about what you're trying to sell at this stage, just the things that are unique to you. That's right. There's an obvious way to do this wrong. Imagine, I don't know, so you, you work out your customers better than they know themselves and you say, oh, the one thing is that you're missing is your You've got too many holes in the bucket. You know, you've got a lot of people coming in, but it turns out you can't keep them. Your retention is low and they're all churning uh, and they all disappear. And they say, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. Can you help me fix this churn? You're like, Oh no, sorry, we don't do that. We're, you know, above the line marketing agency. We're all about filling up the top of the bucket. Yeah. Well, you've taught them the wrong thing. Yeah. You totally wasted your <laughs> time. Whatever you teach them obviously needs to lead back to something that you can do. Exactly. And the thing that you can do better than anyone else. And it's really a magical moment because you've actually tied what they're looking for to your unique solution. And it's obviously not lying at this point. You're just telling the actual truth about mm. how your product's different and how it solves issues in the world. Another important thing is you need to challenge their assumptions. You can't be just teaching them something that they already know or they're going to be like, yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for wasting the last five minutes of my time. You need to actually teach them something that they haven't thought of before that actually does change their brain in some way or does think, oh, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, I'll you know pull mine from earlier as well. So, say if you speak to a builder and you're like, that, you know, how fast do you think it is for offsite construction? And they'd say, oh, it's 5%. And you go, no, it's not. It's 15. <laughs> Here's the data, blah, blah, blah. And you're, you're challenging them on all those things around your unique uh, style relationship builders they'll go five percent oh yeah you know it might be a bit <laughs> might be a bit more than that mate might be i don't know you, you know i've got I've kind of got this study mm. no you got to go hard go hard in the paint there the third thing you need to do you need to catalyze action it, it could be something in the sense of if you're trying to go out there and sell a premium product it's going to cost a hell of a lot there's going to be obviously that uncomfortability when they see the the, the big dollar signs and see how much it is, you've got to justify, okay, well, yeah, okay, it's going to cost a little bit up front, but here's all the things that you're going to save. Here's, you know, having just taught them the big problem or the big opportunity, all the money they're leaving on the table or all the things that they're wasting money on. And you can say, well, it costs a little bit now, but it's really paying for itself in the next three to four years. If you follow this and you follow this solution, you're actually going to save money. So why are you not doing it? So, I guess at this stage, yeah, so you're just basically putting numbers in their head around how big the problem is, right? Mm. You're sort of anchoring them to some extent, right? Yeah, about exactly. Before you actually whip it out. <laughs> That's it. It's all about whipping it out. Now, number four for this is commercial teaching rules is scaling across customers. Mm. So, this is really interesting, hey? Yeah, this is going beyond. Obviously, if you've got one technique that works one time, but because you need to understand your customers better than they know themselves, it's going to be a lot of uh, research into the industry, into the company, into their competitors. If you do that once and make one sale, it's it's a lot of work to get that one sale. Yeah. You need more of a process, more of a strategy that you can then take and scale and apply across so that you're not investing so much time and effort into every single potential lead. Yeah, 100%. Like you could be a generalist about learning about everything or if you go down a really hardcore niche around one certain thing, you do get to the point where you're teaching them something and that's what you need to do. You need to be teaching them something, um, whether whatever it might be. What they say is if you're... Uh, individual sales rep, say if you're running a team of sales reps, you can't really trust them to be 
the superstars, you kind of need to put a bit of structure in place. If you can give them a small handful of well-scripted insights that are applicable across you know, a, a wide range of different customers across different industries, plus if you can give a couple of like important diagnostic questions that they can ask to probe, mix those two together and you've got the perfect sort of system here. All right, so after this point, you've you've taught you've taught a lot of shit. You're probably thinking that sounds awesome. I'm a little weak, soft relationship builder. I need to become a tough challenger sale person. This is how to do it. He will give you the recipe now. The six steps. Yeah, a, a interesting recipe. This a very good recipe. Six bloody steps to the earth shattering moment <laughs> of challenger sales. As what the as the world famous CEB study found. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mate. So step one is the warmer and. Drop us a warmer, man, because there's a bit of a. I'll see in your notes here. You got a, a, it's linked back to another uh, interesting book, which I, I found. Yeah, very interesting link here, which uh, didn't come straight to mind. <laughs> I, I remember your your review of uh, the full facts of cold reading was. You said this book is completely useless for 99.99 percent of people, 99.99 percent of the time. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, I think you just missed the point. I think oh, you were just yeah. reading it to like how to learn to do tarot card reading, but yeah, it's about how to apply it. This is saying that. Uh, it's kind of like what we said before about having that system in place of a couple of specific insights and a couple of specific questions that you can, it is cold reading in a sense, that you can make them feel like it, bit of, build a bit of rapport along the way and make them feel like this person knows exactly what they're doing. They know me yeah. so well already and I've, I've only just met them. I remember just, uh, it's always dangerous, I'm just whipping <laughs> from the left side of the brain after a bottle of red last night. But like if you open, we've worked with a number of companies similar to yours and found that these challenges come up time and time again. It's a bit like cause in that book, it's like if you're a cold reader trying to speak to someone and you do research that the name Kate is in the 1940s <laughs> or, or Meg or something. So you go to that, you know, find that unique insight from back then more so than they know. And you're, I'm sensing a bit of Kate in your, <laughs> yeah. sorry, Meg in your uh, grandparents sort of thing. So you're sort of leading with, with um, the things that you know are challenging them and then you're actually speaking about it, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's kind of that building. There's a lot of elements just in that one statement that you just made. We've worked with a number of companies similar to yours. That's obviously just building yourself up as a bit of an authority, like you know what you're talking about. Uh, you're somebody who can be a bit trusted. We found these three challenges come up time and time again. So if you've actually got three genuine challenges, you can't go full cold. It needs to be, you know, feel closely related to them. Then you think, oh, this person's a really good thinker. They've seen this a lot. They totally understand my challenges. And then you say, oh, is this what you're seeing too? You're going to get a bit of feedback from them as well. And then you can obviously tailor your, your cold reading appropriately. I love it. So, yeah, there's a lot, of, even authority and social proof. There's a lot of things just baking that once mm. on top of what you're just saying there. Um, number two is the reframe. So, this is central moment of the commercial teaching pitch here. So, it's really building off the challenges that your customer just acknowledged in step one. So, you said you've understood their world for these three reasons. You're on the same page with that. If not... Mm. Yeah, challenge say we give them a, give them a little um, gut punch. That's right. And the the thing is here, so you've kind of you've kind of got them alongside with you, saying, yeah, these are the three challenges that, that you face, and it might be whatever it could be. You know, staff turnover could be a really obvious one, or it could be you know maintaining profit margins due to inflation and increasing supply costs, or whatever it is. But then these sort of super basic obvious ones are enough to get the warmer. This step here, the reframe, is about actually saying, well, these are small challenges, but here's the big problem that you haven't thought about or here's the massive opportunity that you've actually never seen before. You need to have something bigger than all of those combined, mm. which is a bit of a reframe. Yeah, I like it. Man, this, uh, you, you challenged me before this episode, oh, what's your reframe in your mind? I added just a different one pop up, which is great, which nice. I'm definitely going to use, which is useful. <laughs> but it's like um, if I'm trying to sell uh, a software to 
structural engineers. It's about designing um, mass timber. The teaching is about the impacts of the concrete versus mass timber. And then the reframe part would be actually going deep on here's the difference of an individual's impact if you design a concrete building versus timber and say, you know, it's like the, the equivalent of 10,000 cars on the road or 50 lifetimes of you just mm. making this one decision. So, it's it's challenging them there, teaching mm. them on that one thing and then reframing um, the whole problem and how they design a building because everyone, you know, takes coffee cups uh, heat cups and <laughs> shit like that. So, it's, it's bringing into that territory, right? That's right. The human scale principle as well, which is uh, coming up in next season, <laughs> made to stick. Uh, oh, yeah, about yeah. Re- relate- if you just say, uh, you know, there's, you know, you're going to save 2,000 tons of carbon or something, it makes absolutely no sense. But if you say, oh, that's equivalent of 10,000 cars, it immediately brings it to something more tangible, yeah, a like bit more it. sticky. Obviously, the point here is to have that reframe to be something that they haven't thought of. If it's a one of those obvious, simple um, problems that we mentioned in the first step, if they've thought of the problem, they've probably already thought of the solution and they don't need it from you. The point is you need to have something, a you real need. slap in the side of the face where they've never thought of it, which means you're the perfectly positioned to then help them fix it. Phenomenal, man. I love it. Step three is rational drowning. So, you go on one, you go on the reframe and then you just drown them. You drown them with... <laughs> drag them under and drag just Drag them under there. and just keep them there for as long as you can. But it's basically just going hardcore with stats, figures, how much money they're wasting, the, the negative impact they're having, whatever it might be. But you just, you just fill them to the brim with that sort of shit. That's right. You've done your reframe, which is all nice in theory. Here's where you actually kind of need to prove it. Data's, graphs, tables, charts, and just showing them that you know, the, you want them to say, wow, I had no idea we were wasting that kind of money or wow, I had no idea there was this, we'd left all this money sitting on the table. Step four now, it's uh, about emotional impact. It's really making sure the customer is seeing themselves in the story you're telling. So, you know, it's pretty frustrating if you lay out an argument and they say, I see what you're saying, but I struggle how it uh, applies to us. Yeah, you've lost. You've, you've lost, lost the game already. You need to make sure that they can see this scenario that you've kind of painted exactly relies to them and their company. Yeah. So, you might suck. You might have done a poor job up until this point, but um, you could have the wrong customer or you could have the wrong story. Mm. So, you might have the wrong insights or whatever, you know, from that point. Now, step five is is the new way. And this is where you've got to convince them of the solution to that big reframed problem that you mentioned. Now, an important note here, uh, it's very tempting here to say, here's a big problem. I can fix it, our company can fix it. The important here is not to sell them on you or you as the supplier. It's about to sell them on the solution. So it's saying, okay, the big problem or the big challenge or the big opportunity that I laid out, here's the solution, of the, here's the steps that you need to do, or here's how you can take uh, advantage of it and selling on the solution only without you involved in the picture. Yeah, exactly. It's like... Uh, it- <laughs> It's very easy to just go into pitch mode it's yeah. like when you think you got an idea or it's like, yeah. a, I don't know where are the notes where I had it come to mind like an unsolicited dick pic. Yeah. It's like if you just whip out the what you think is the solution, yeah. it just never works. If you're, yeah. if you're that way inclined, it's obviously getting them a lot to the point about how you're uniquely different to every other person around the world and make them attracted mm. and all that. Then you can maybe whip it out if um, <laughs> at the right metaphorically. time. Metaphorically. <laughs> or literally if it's at the right time. I'm not saying... Is it? You can't just keep it in twenty for the rest of your life. Nothing's ever going to happen. You're not going to procreate our show. So whipping it out is totally fine. It's just about the timing. That's and, right. And not and the, too early. That's right. That's right. Uh, what we want them to say at this point is saying, "Yeah, you, you're right. That makes total sense. That's exactly what we need." Or, you know, that's the kind of company that I can see us being. That's what we need to be. You know, you want them to be saying those types of things. When you hear that, that's when you've got them there. The hook's been baited. They've taken that first nibble. They've chomped down and now it's time to reel them in with step six. Step six. So, they've agreed a solution needs to happen. They've agreed 
all right, up until this point, there's a problem. They've just learned there's a problem and losing a lot of money because of that problem. And they agree that a certain solution that looks like this exists to solve that problem. So up until this point, this is when you decide this is my solution. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty good point. It's pretty straightforward here at the very end because you've you've gone through the process mm. to get them to here and it's easy. That's it. You've warmed them up, a bit of cold reading. You've laid out a few small challenges. You've reframed them with one massive challenge. You've worked through all the numbers and the data. You've shown that they're involved specifically in this story. You've shown here, okay, here's the problem. Here's exactly how you solve it. Now it's the time when you say, cool, I'm the person to solve it. So the good news here for everyone out there and me and you, Ash Show, if we're um, relationship builders, <laughs> yeah. the challenge is they're made and they're not born. Mm. Good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's not those five uh, personality types that we listed at the start. It's not just you're, you're fixed in that way. You're not just born that way and that's how you operate. If you want to shift towards being a challenger, which they've, through the massive study, is the most successful type of salesperson, you can learn exactly what you need to do to be it. That's it, man. So the good thing is the study focuses on skills, learnable attitudes, behaviors, and knowledge. They're all malleable to the human brain. So that means with the right tools, training, coaching, and reward and recognition systems, you can make the transition to become a challenger. Mm-hmm.